I want every room to feel full size. I don't want people to feel like they're compromising at all in the comfort and functionality of their home and the major you know, requirements of a home, which is a kitchen, a bathroom, you know, a place to eat, a place to relax, a bedroom. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 48 with David Latimer from New Frontier Tiny Homes. New Frontier is building really gorgeous, modern tiny homes that seem to make a splash online whenever they come out. And so I was excited to invite David Latimer onto the show because he is the CEO, founder, lead designer, and actually builder of these homes. So these really are an extension of his design philosophies and his aesthetics. I hope you stick around for my conversation with David Latimer from New Frontier Tiny Homes. I want to let you know that on Saturday, March 9th, I will be hosting a free live tiny house training. It's called Before You Build, What I Wish I'd Known Before Building My Tiny House. It's taking place online. It's a free class that I teach about every four to six weeks, and it's happening on Saturday, March 9th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And so in the class, I will help you clarify the most important pieces of your tiny house, how to estimate how long your tiny house will take to build and how much it will cost. I'll teach you about the most crucial parts to plan out now that will save you the most frustration later. And the webinar includes live Q&A with me so you can get all your tiny house questions answered. To register, head over to thetinyhouse.net slash webinar. And even though the webinar is free, we are limited to 150 seats live on the call. So please make sure you go ahead and register in advance because these things always fill up. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash webinar. And I can't wait to see you on the session. All right, I am here with David Latimer. David is the CEO, founder, and lead designer of New Frontier Tiny Homes. Born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee, David has always been fascinated by the form and function of structures, good design, and asking why. David is obsessed with uncompromising quality and perfection and has chosen to translate that philosophy into new frontier tiny homes. David Latimer, welcome to the show. It is a pleasure to join you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You know, it seems like there is a new tiny house builder that I see online like every day or every week. And New Frontier has really managed to stand out. Um, what do you attribute that to? Well, I appreciate that. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say because uh, I'm me. So I'm self-reporting from a creator standpoint, which is inherently very biased because I love all that I've done, poured my heart, soul, and all my time into. Um, I would say... Uh, I'm a, yeah, I'm an obsessive detailed person. Um, so I just, I'm the kind of person that I, I will, if it takes 80 hours a week to get to my level of my standard of design of quality, then I'll do it. I don't measure count hourly. I'm not clocking in. I am totally project-based. It's going to be excellent. Um, so, I mean, I, I think some of it is in a lot of it's probably an inherent just uh, aptitude for, for design uh, for quality. 
Um, but yeah, just, I, I don't want to imitate. I want to do something that's original. I'm a risk taker. Um, and yeah, I just kind of, you know, I, I'm an artist first and foremost, I would say. Um, so yeah, I just, you know, I, I'm constantly studying, uh, constantly learning, but constantly looking at different people, different types of architecture, um, different types of design, interior, d decorating, staging, um, just to get ideas. And I just, you know, synthesize those. And I see in my head with perfect clarity what I want to create. And it's uh, the wonderful dance of trying to bring an idea to life. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I don't really know how to answer more than that. But yeah. Well, that's a good answer. Now, I'm I'm not a design professional myself, so I could be using the wrong words, but I would describe the New Frontier designs as modern and elegant, maybe some mid-century modern inspiration. How would you describe the, the design philosophy? Cheers. Yeah. I mean, modern is definitely there. Um, so my two biggest inspirations are a lot of Japanese design and Scandinavian, probably Scandinavian first and foremost. So I love sharp, clean lines. Uh, and I love um, a big part of my design, a couple things that, you know, are my, I guess you'd say my, uh, my, the structure, uh, the structure, the mapping for how I approach a design is form is that it, 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 it all starts with form, right? Or no, sorry, excuse me. <laughs> it all starts with function, right? It's like, how, to, what am I trying to create? What features, what qualities, what characteristics am I trying to create? And I think one difference between me uh, and a lot of people is I also refuse to compromise form. Um, so I'm trying to op optimize and maximize both. Uh, anyway, all that to say, like clean lines, I like all my storage to be stowed away so that when you're in your house and you're using it, it's clean, it's uncluttered. You know, you've got, and then a big thing for me is light. Lighting is, to me, is everything. You can have the most boring room in the world. And if it's got sexy lighting, it's a sexy room. Uh, and so I, I really like to eliminate the boundaries between indoor and outdoor space and to optimize both the natural light and the lighting design, both of which are equally important to me. And I love the idea, or I love when a house changes its entire mood and feeling between nighttime and daytime. Um, so uh, <laughs> yeah, you're asking me what's my aesthetic. Yeah, very modern, very sharp edges, very clean lines. Um, and the thing about the Japanese influence on me is texture and materiality, all natural materials for me. And I love, even though it's simple and clean, I love the texture. I love the depth of, of different materials and how you feel. And that's a, a way I, you know, I'm not trying to create a hospital space. I want like being warm, friendly. I forget how to pronounce this, but hug, <laughs> you know, the Scandinavian term for just that real warm inviting cabiny feel. Um, I want to create that atmosphere and that vibe. Um, and I think the texturality and the natural materials is a good way to to blend that modern, clean, you know, minimalism with uh, that warmth and that just, you know, feeling of, oh, I'm home. I can relax, be myself and not think about, you know, I don't know, just, just be at home. Yeah. Nice. And if anybody ends up listening to this when they're sitting in front of a computer or even on the phone, I encourage you to check out the New Frontier Tiny Homes website because they have really gorgeous and, and very extensive photos of each home, which I think is actually a real service to everyone because, you know, 
it's easy to just see one photo of a tiny home that looks really sexy and really nice, but it's another thing to really get to step through the house in photos and let everyone take inspiration from from your designs. Thank you. Let me, can I give a plug to somebody real quick? Yeah, of course. So I've been fortunate to work with an incredible uh, architectural photographer um, who's very talented. I think one of his, in addition to just being a talented photographer, one of his uh, qualities is that he really captures what the home looks like in person. He doesn't, he doesn't fool around in Photoshop to make it look better than it is. Um, and I, you know, that's one of the big things for me is I wish more people could see physically experience the space. I will say any potential client I've ever had who walks into a home is becomes a client, um, because they're just blown away that the quality is even better in person than, uh, but I really want to give studio Buell photography, Garrett Buell, uh, he's just a, been a great friend and just an amazing person to collaborate with. So Nice. And we'll link to everything that we talk about on the show notes page so people will be able to find that. When you were talking about function and form being important, I thought about the, um, I guess you could call it the dinette or the, the kitchen set up in the Alpha and also the Cornelia. No, Alpha, yeah, that slides underneath. And so I was curious... And and what's so amazing about it is that not only does it stow away so elegantly, but it, it is beautifully built, like the joinery and the wood that you used is beautiful. Uh, is that a design element that you like to put into all of your homes or as many as you can? Which part specifically? The material? Um, it's like the kitchen table that slides underneath the floor. So that way you get this open space in the middle of the house. And then if you want to have a big table available, you can kind of bring that out. Sure. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to clarify. You're asking about the functionality or the beauty of it or, or, you know, just are you asking to have an element of being able to experience like a full dining experience or? I didn't really have a question. You're so you're making me be a better interviewer by making me <laughs> clarify my question. I guess my que- actually the question that I wrote down about it is is this a design that you are that you share? Like if somebody wants to to build the David Latimer slide out kitchen dinette, is that something that they can do or is this proprietary only to to the homes that you build? Yeah, no good question. Um so not proprietary. Uh, I think there's a few things. I mean, it, first of all, it's really hard to copyright uh, architectural design because you move a few things, you move a few windows, and it's totally different. Uh, same with furniture. Actually, uh, furniture, the, the way to get patents and copyrights isn't all in how it packs up and, uh, and like some of the mechanical, proprietary mechanical things about how it folds and different, different things like that. Obviously, a very hard thing to, to do too. So anybody can do it. I don't share my designs um, right now uh, for a number of different reasons. Uh, you know, I'm happy to kind of extrapolate a little bit on that, but um, yeah, I mean, it, for me, I think I, I, part of maybe the question you're asking too is I like having my, one of my philosophies for design and build is I want every room to feel full size. I don't want people to feel like they're compromising at all in the comfort and functionality of their home and the major, you know, requirements of a home, which is a kitchen, a bathroom, you know, a place to eat, a place to relax, a bedroom. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's, uh, having it and again, having it move out of the way. So when it's not in use, you have a big open room that you can, you know, 
that doesn't feel cluttered or crowded. And you also talked about uh, in your design philosophy, the the boundaries, removing the boundary between interior and exterior. And I noticed that many of your house designs feature, a you know, the big overhead glass kind of garage door. Do you have any uh, tips or advice for people wanting to work with a big door like that and how to incorporate them into into your build safely? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. Um, so, I mean, one, it's it's amazing to have literally the, in effect, a whole wall that, that rolls up. And then when it's down, you still have all that light. Um, I would actually recommend outsource that because garage doors are very specific. You need specific tools working with that tension coil um, and then really sealing it because most garage doors are not, uh, they're not made, they're made for garages. So if water comes underneath and hits the big concrete or, you know, slab, no big deal. It's in the garage. So I would say going through extra precautions to ensure that it's sealed up and down the side, a lot of caulk, double, triple, quadruple layers, um, extra trim pieces. And then a big thing that I do, um, I'm happy to share my design secrets. It's just, you know, or secrets, my design philosophy or, or approaches or techniques maybe. Um, but what I do is I create a special pan where, so basically the garage door, the base of the garage door sits about an inch below the actual finished floor. And I break metal roofing metal over that uh, and then caulk the hell out of it. So even if water comes through, there's no danger of it actually hitting the floor or the subfloor. Um, so that that's a really extra precaution. I had to learn that lesson the hard way, um, but that's that's been an extra precaution. Um, and then I, I just think the garage door is one of those things you just splurge on, bite the bullet, because um, it's you know <laughs> everyone knows the elements getting indoors of a house will ruin the house <laughs> quicker than anything. So, so, you know, it's one of those, because you have, it's such a volatile place. You have such a big exposure and so much uh, space for for those elements to get in. You just just don't risk it. Yeah. And I, I was also, I've always loved that look and that huge wall of light as you described, but I've, I've been wary thinking about putting something like that in a house that's going to be like in Vermont or the Northeast or the Midwest, just from a heat loss perspective. Yeah, very good point. I mean, there's, there's, you know, I think one of the ways I've counterbalanced and I don't know if this is totally, I mean, to be perfectly honest, the the best way to optimize your, you know, insulation, our value and ability to retain both heat and cool is to minimize your, your glass surface area. There are cool, there's like different curtains you can get if you get really heavy plush curtains there's different kind of foam inserts you can get that are extra steps, extra you know things you have to do, but they really can help give more uh, more insulation and make that window not just like a place where cold air is just you know constantly kind of moving through. Are are your houses um, stick framed, metal framed, sips, or some combination of of the three? Yeah, good question. I do stick framing. Um, my, you know, my design is so meticulous that I, uh, you know, the difference between in, in, a t- in the tiny house world, an inch can change everything. You move something over an inch and you got to redesign all the cabinetry or all something else. So 
the flexibility of stick building, uh, the way you can bolster the strength, and you should have control. I'm a little bit of a control freak, whoever uh, <laughs> the quality, but when you stick frame, you have more control, more flexibility. Uh, you can definitely make it much stronger than steel framing, actually. Um, if you you know use some engineered lumber, the different strapping and all the things out you know that are available, um, it's a little bit heavier. Uh, but I found it to be tank solid. So, and what, um, how heavy are the houses completed? Well, like, I know there's obviously different sizes that you've built. What's the range? Yeah, mine are heavy, <laughs> very heavy. Um, so I would say anywhere between 13,000 being a lot of effort to cut, to cut weight. Yeah. To like, I mean, 25,000 pound or 24,000 pounds, you know, quad axle. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean that, that makes sense. And I don't think that anybody who sees your houses and says like, I want that, but I want it to weigh 8,000 pounds so I can tow it with like a half ton pickup. Uh, and I also want it to cost like, you know, (laughs) nothing. You can't have it all. You know, you have to choose there. There are trade-offs and, you know, clearly with the materials that you're choosing, you know, there is going to be some weight involved in them, but I think it's a, you know, it's a trade-off that people make because it's such a beautiful house. Absolutely. Um, yeah, <laughs> I have many opinions on all that the stuff you said, but I'll hold off. Well, no, I'd, I'd love to hear them. Well, I just, the, you know, the tiny house movement is a, it's a, a beautiful, amazing thing. All of the philosophy behind it, the intentions of people are, you know, cultural changes, you know, cultural, culture, they can change cultural. It's, it's, there's a zeitgeist thing. There's a Kairos thing. There's a, you know, this is, um, this is something that needs to happen that, that our culture badly needs. Uh, but with any new, um, new, you know, industry, any new product, uh, it's a wild west thing, right? And you have the whole, you know, it's, it, it came from, you know, Jay Schaefer's do-it-yourself ethos. And that's a huge part of the spirit, a critical part of the spirit and the identity of the tiny home movement. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of, you don't know what you don't know, right? Until you try it. So if somebody's not already a builder, doesn't have experience with carpentry, it's in theory, everything about building a home is simple, right? It's not, you know, most of it is not, you're not, we're not talking about like, you know, high level finance in a global market. You're not talking about mathematics, like really complicated math or science or physics, although it, you need to know the basic tenets of those principles. Um, it, you know, but the idea of, of something being simple and straightforward is very, very different from learning that physical skill set and learning how in the field applied, mixing all these simplicities together makes it complex makes it, oh, I got this part wrong. And so all of these other parts are wrong now and I have to go back and step back. Um, so there's a lot of skill involved. There really is and a lot of time to learn these skills and there's danger, you know, I mean, power tools are dangerous as hell. So it, it's, um, yeah, anyway, sorry, bit of a tangent. Um, but I, I love the, I love that ethos. And it's very important. Uh, but when you, um, and, and I think, again, a lot of people are not, they're not, business people starting uh and so they don't they don't understand like some of the they're not builders so they don't understand some of the costs involved the time involved the labor involved the different skill sets involved 
And, you know, when you're adding complexity in design, when you're adding quality of material, um, that costs money. And my homes are that expensive because that's what they cost. Not because I'm a, you know, profit hawk that's, you know, marking everything up to a ridiculous level. It's when you buy a Tesla and you drive a Kia and you drive a Tesla, you don't have to ask any questions about where the difference in cost comes from. It is very blatantly obvious. Um, so yeah, that, does that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I don't get involved, but you know, I'm sure you're a members of you're a member of the same tiny house Facebook groups and Reddits that that I am, and you. I frequently see people say, you know, I can't believe this house is going to cost me seventy, eighty thousand dollars to build, and it it is just simple math when you look at the materials, you know for an average tiny home, not like a new frontier home being, you know, anywhere from 20 to 40 or $50,000 even in new materials. And then, you know, a thousand hours of somebody's labor. It's like that. Yeah. And, and it really, I mean, you know, at the beginning you take it personally or you're like, you know, like, but you don't know, but it, it's totally okay. You know, I mean, they don't know what they don't know. And I can appreciate, you know, frustration. I'm really empathetic to people um, because they just don't, they don't understand. And, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and it's taken me a long time to understand why, you know, these things happen and why these things add up and how to do this in the right way. And um, so it's, it's all good, but you know, as for anybody on the internet, you know, before you start throwing arrows, shooting arrows and throwing darts, um, it's always a good idea to just educate yourself a little bit. So you've had some cool collaborations or at least one that I saw with with Dunkin Donuts. How did that how did that come about and what was that all about? Yeah, cool, good question. So my philosophy from like a brand and and marketing standpoint is make the best product in the market. It's very unique. Uh take, you know, stage it uh, beautifully to make it look like a home you're living in and uh let the quality of what you do speak for itself. So I've spent almost no money on marketing uh, since starting the company, you know, three, three and a half years ago. Um, it's all been organic. So the way that comes to be is uh, these big companies will have, you know, an advertising agency or marketing agency who has an idea, who pitches it to them and then, you know, the company loves it and, you know, they'll go out and try to find it and, you know, try to find what, what fits and, you know, with Disney, with um, another collaboration we did with Roan, which is a really cool men's apparel line. Uh, yeah, really cool company. Check them out. R-H-O-N-E. Um, and then with Dunkin' Donuts is like, you know, they just, they went out and found they liked our homes better than any others. Um, and then the, the Dunkin' idea was uh, come up with that same group of people. Um, Hill Holiday is the name of the group. Great people, a delight to work with. Um, but they, you know, they're like, why don't we get a house that runs off of Dunkin' Donuts? And that, that general and unspecific of an idea. And then they dig into the, uh, the details of how to do that. And obviously the, the biofuel. And then we were really excited about the opportunity to optimize the efficiency of that biofuel and make the house run exclusively off that without compromising any of the amenities. So you got a washer dryer in there. You've got a mini split. You've got, you know, an electric dishwasher. You've got, you know, all sorts of electrical things that you would have in any of our homes that run off of shore power. Um, it, yeah, and that was, that was a fun challenge. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just a, a wonderful project. 
correct me if I'm wrong, that one was in New York City for like a week somewhere? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> that was really fun. So they rented a spot in um, Madison Square Park, which is in Midtown. That's where the original Shake Shack is. Really cool little park, beautiful old trees, some sycamores, and massive amount of traffic. I mean, I think tens of thousands of people pour through there every day. Um, so having it there with the backdrop of the Flatiron Building and all these iconic buildings around was just surreal. Um, we made it like a little village there too. It was just really cool to see a, have a house in Manhattan. And uh, believe it or not, that was the second one we did. We had one at the World Trade Center that was broadcast live on Good Morning America. Um, with that was the Disney project. Uh, anyway, the and then having obviously Olivia Wilde uh, part of that project was an added uh, wonderful little bonus. So how many houses does New Frontier produce in in a year? And is there a wait list? Yeah, no, absolutely a wait list. It varies widely. Um, you know, a project like Dunkin' Donuts is very time intensive. And uh, most of my homes are very, have been up to this point, very time intensive. So a lot of just, you know, a lot of time spent on one project and perfecting it. Uh, I am moving to a place where I'm trying to scale up um, to meet demand and also to create efficiencies in how we produce homes, uh, more standardize things a little more, um, to and then to pass that those cost savings off to to uh, clients to, to uh, potential clients. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, anywhere from twenty to some years eight. There's also other projects I have going uh, on the side. This is a really cool one, building a tiny house hotel in Nashville. Um, yeah, they're actually going to be site built, um, but it's going to be my, my, our, our models, uh, our designs. And yeah, I mean, that we broke ground on that already. So hopefully this summer we'll, we'll launch and have rooms available. So stay tuned for that. That's really exciting. I think that tiny house hotels are an awesome business idea. It's a uh, one of the, can I keep plugging it? <laughs> yeah, plug away. <laughs> one of the cool things, uh, unique things about this is, I mean, first of all, the the whole like the landscaping, the fencing, everything's going to be really sexy and intentional. There'll be a few little tweaks to the models. Uh, we made them all ten feet wide. Going to have different materials and siding. Um, some will be the the exact same, like on the interior. Uh, and then we've got a brand new design that has never been built before. That's going to be built for the first time there. So, but the, the really unique thing or one of the really cool things about this is it's in urban Nashville. It's in a, an amazing neighborhood, 10 minute walk from this really cool part of town in East Nashville, really hip part of town, but 10 minute walk from all these uh, restaurants, bars, shops, a five minute drive to another cluster of those things around the corner from a brewery and a really cool cafe and a record store. And it's like an eight minute drive to the heart of downtown. So I think that's, you know, Caravan was the first urban, well, really kind of the first tiny house hotel, um, one of at least. And the, and one of the few ur truly urban tiny house hotels that I know of, that I'm aware of. And so having that, uh, I think I, I passionately believe that micro living is a significant part of the future of, of housing in this country, it has to be. And I think especially in an urban setting, people our age and younger our life is defined by our experiences, the quality of our experiences, uh, not by, not nearly as much by the status that stuff brings, right? Um, so 
I, I, being able to live in an urban core affordably, um, and, you know, is, is a really something that a lot of people really desire. And I think micro living can facilitate having the American dream, uh, owning dirt, owning house, it might be really small, really small footprint. Um, but again, and then pouring that quality and those expenses into the quality of the home instead of a bunch of square footage for rooms that you don't use. Uh, the, the price per square foot metric is ludicrous to me. It's obscene. Uh, it helps developers and builders. It is not a value add to any clients at all. Because Yeah. I don't recommend looking at the cost per square foot of your tiny house or anyone's tiny house because you won't it won't be favorable compared to what what a bank might tell you is reasonable. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean and that reason that is is because most of your costs or a lot it's gonna be part of your costs is concentrated in kitchen, bathroom, uh some of these special, you know, custom built-in things. And it doesn't have again all the the extra square footage that costs builders and developers very little to produce, but is weighed from a price standpoint the same as you know uh, as a kitchen or a bathroom. Um, so you know, I mean, that's a you know, there's many things about the way we build and develop that I have a lot of opinions about, and that's one of them. <laughs> Absolutely, and and going back to what you were just talking about, in a way, the urban centers are the hardest nut to crack just from, you know, legality perspective and, and being allowed to live tiny, I, I feel like I've seen more examples of people being able to easily set up tiny house communities and villages and just live legally or just below the radar in rural areas. And that's slowly creeping in. But to get into that city center with a tiny house it still seems to be like a bit of a holy grail. Yes, you are absolutely right. And I, you know, I've been, been, I like to say that, uh, you know, starting a company is difficult. Starting a company in which your product is illegal, unfinanceable, and not a narcotic has a whole level of extra stress. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I was so frustrated. I think every tiny house builder has been really frustrated about, you know, cities crying for affordable housing solutions and then us being like, no, we have one. It already exists. Like you don't have to develop it. It's not theoretical. It exists. Why can't we put these in here? And and I get, for the most part, uh, I get the the codes. Um, you know, those those all the those codes are put in place as protective measures for cities, for communities, for individuals. And I get that. I get why. And changing those things is complicated uh, for a number of reasons. Um, but, you know, I, I understand why um, t- to a degree, but I just, you know, I, I would like to see more. Um, and then the zoning thing is, is also quite a challenge, but I would like to see it become a little easier to turn, uh, you know, change zoning from whatever it might be, residential, commercial to MHP, mobile home park. Um, the other thing, the, actually the main thing that I've learned about the obstacle to make those things happen is not, it's nothing to do with government officials or codes officials or zoning officials. It has to do with neighbors. It has to do with people loving the idea of helping out or having some new thing. And then as soon as you put it near them, they're like, oh, no way. I mean, I think the term for that is nimbyism, not in my backyard. I think that's one of the great afflictions of, uh, of America specifically. Um, and until we can start to mesh our ideals for what we'd like to see for other people to have with the way that we live, 
which is what community is, <laughs> which is what a democracy is, is compromise, constant compromise, uh, which is a hilarious part of the narrative of our pr- current political com- you know, uh, climate. Sorry, tangent. It's like, no compromise. Like, oh my gosh, you mean no democracy? <laughs> you mean no liberalism? Cool. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, the, I, it really is mostly about neighbors whining and com- or just making a big stink about something. Um, so the next time you want to, we want to throw codes and zoning under the bus, go into that community and start hosting, I don't know, you know, something, putting out flyers or whatever, telling people this isn't going to affect your uh, property value. Uh, this is a community ad, a value, a value ad for the community. Um, and really engaging people proactively. If you're trying to get something like that changed, it all starts with the residents of that community. And if you can galvanize them around a, a project idea, then of course the politicians will, will follow suit. And of course there'll be the appetite for that is going to be much higher. Um, yeah, being in zoning and codes, all you're hearing all time, all the time is complaints. And we have two great people who lead our codes and zoning here in Nashville. Uh, a guy named Bill Herbert and John Michael, and they're fantastic people. They want to see tiny homes work, but um, really, at this point, if you really want to get a tiny home development and going, is you got to site build it. And we're site building, meaning it's on a foundation. So this is going to be on foundation. This might be a tough question, uh, maybe choosing between your children. But do you have a favorite tiny house that you've designed and built so far? You're exactly right. It is like choosing between children. Um, I would say I, uh, I get bored easily and I always want to try things, uh, try new things, which is uh, fun artistically, but a re- <laughs> real pain in the ass and a real challenge from a business uh, side of things because you don't know, <laughs> you're just guessing before you've built something that's dramatically different from a, another home you've built before. Um, so I, I kind of, yeah, honestly, I mean, being totally honest, I like all of them uh, equally for their own differences and their own unique qualities. Um, and it kind of, I kind of get a little, uh, you know, fresh, freshness thing or whatever's the newest one is the one I like the most at a, at a certain time. But no, I, I really do. Uh, I really do love them all. And I've poured, I poured equal of my heart, soul and time into all of those So one thing that I like to ask all of my guests is what are two or three resources, so like books or films or even people um, who have inspired you and helped you along your tiny journey that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, great question. Um, Let me pause for a moment on that um, to really think about, because I really want to give people plugs. I mean, the short answer is, is a ton of people, you know, I think one of the beautiful things about the tiny house industry and community is like we're all incentivized to see mutual success uh, even amongst direct competitors um, you know ships all rise together ships in the same harbor all rise together um, so there is a lot of that I mean there's obviously competition and undercutting and all that stuff but uh, the openness and the transparency has been a really cool thing um, you know think about I, Andrew uh, Morrison is definitely a hero of mine in the tiny house world. I mean, he's a fantastic human being. Uh, he and his wife, Gabrielle, they're, uh, they're beautiful human beings, super knowledgeable and just so open. That's just such a beautiful spirit of collaboration and sharing and just, you know, sharing everything that they know and every bit of information they know. So he's definitely one of my, 
uh, Tiny House Heroes. I mean, you know, I could spend the next 45 minutes talking about people who I've learned a lot from and really appreciate. Um, I would say uh, the other is, um, who's been really helpful for me is, is Wind River Tiny Homes. They started about a year before I did, maybe a little bit longer. Those guys are awesome. Really good guys, good quality product, and they've been really uh, we're in direct market, you know, direct competitors and the friendships we've developed and the sharing openly of information and, uh, you know, special knowledge has been really cool, um, and inspiring in that way. Uh, I would say to, to I'm a really theater. Yeah. Are you asking for tangible, actionable information on how to, how to actually, you know, build, are you asking for inspiration? Kind both, of stuff? both really. Um, so two books that for me are really inspiring. I, I studied literature and philosophy, so I can nerd out on some uh, some text. But uh, Michael Pollan, who is one of my favorite uh, voices of of you know in, in America right now, or just as an author in general, he wrote The Omnivore's Dile- Dilemma, several other books. Pick up any of his, and you will be inspired and just refreshed by his perspective. Uh, just the way he communicates things. But he wrote this book called A Room of One's Own, which I adore. It's about him uh, living on his property. I can't remember where it was, somewhere in the Northeast. And uh, he had kids, needed a place to write. So wanted to build a little house cabin up behind his house. Of course, <laughs> went in a deep dive. You know, he didn't just go to you know Home Depot and buy a shed and, and retrofit it. Went into a deep dive about why and and, you know, how and, and all these things, um, but really articulates in a special, in a special way, what is home? What does it mean? The process of turning a, the idea of a space into an actual thing, the tension between architecture, design and builders, the class struggle between architecture and design and builders, uh, which is something that that's, that's actually that, sorry, a little tangent. That's actually something for me that is really important about tiny homes and really unique is for the most part, uh, the designer is the builder. So there's direct line of communication. There's a direct understanding between these two elements. Uh, and it's not, it's not some highfalutin, you know, aristocrat sitting in a room in a fancy office theorizing about what's the best thing to do and not caring at all about how you know, feasible it is to execute and, and build. And then condescendingly looking down on these people they consider lower class. That's not true of our, all architects, but it is true of this, of this tension between the two worlds. Whereas a tiny house, you're designing it, you're going to build it or your team's going to build it or, you know, whatever. And so there's this direct line of communication. So it's really this mutual respect and the feasibility of it is so nice. It's, you know, coming up with an idea is great, but guess what? everybody's got a million ideas. Ideas are not novel at all. Not at all. Executing and bringing those ideas to life is where all the struggle is, is where all the challenges are, is where all the work is really. Um, and it's the most gratifying thing uh, that I've ever experienced professionally to bring an idea to life. But it's also almost killed me several times because it is a, it is a behemoth undertaking. Um, so anyway, I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> Michael Pollan's book, A Room of One's Own, is is wonderful. And then there's this really obscure book by a uh, French guy called The Poetics of Space, which is more um, more esoteric. Is like he has this quote. Uh, the main here, actually, let me let me actually find the actual quote. I have in front of me. Uh, 
Yeah, he says, uh, so Gaston Bachelard, Poetics of Space. If I were asked to name the chief benefit of the house, I should say the house shelters daydreaming. The house protects the dreamer. The house allows one to dream in peace. I really like that, uh, that notion of, of home. Um, man, that was long-winded. Uh, <laughs> no, that's great. I love these tangents. And I, you know, people enjoy, I think people enjoy the podcast. I've gotten a lot of great <laughs> responses. Yeah, and, and I enjoy your podcast. <laughs> oh, good. Well, thank you. Um, so last question. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, where can people see a new frontier house in person? Do you go to any of the tiny house festivals? And if so, you know, what do you have coming up? I've been to, I've been to a few of the festivals, not bringing a tiny house. It's just, you know, for me, it's so, it's so much work and time intensive to do that. It just doesn't make sense. I just don't have the time for it. Honestly, that's really it. I just don't have the time to do that. Um, I, you know, but I love those things. They're great. And I support them. And I've gone a couple times, just me to a few of those. So the, the answer is, uh, check out, keep, follow us on social media, follow our, our narrative and our, our story. And we're going to, um, be announcing and, and, you know, promoting the tiny house hotel and, and giving you details and updates. Um, but that will be the best place to, to see our models. We'll have six homes, uh, to start with. And it's going to be um, one of each of the models, including the new model. Uh, and so you can you can see them and experience them uh, yourself. We might do open houses, but all you got to do is book on Airbnb. So yes, follow us and stay tuned and you'll be able to have access to one um, sometime in the next six months at least. Awesome. Well, David Latimer, thanks so much for being a guest on the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. Ethan, thank you so much for having me. It's been a delight. You can find the show notes and links to all the resources that David mentioned, including photos of the gorgeous New Frontier tiny homes at thetinyhouse.net slash 048. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 048. And I really hope that I will see you next Saturday at my Before You Build webinar training. To register, just head over to thetinyhouse.net slash webinar. And as a reminder, this is a one-hour class with an additional hour set aside afterwards for Q&A. So I'll talk about all the things that I wish I knew before I built my tiny house, and I will stick around to answer your questions. I get great feedback from these sessions. I only host them every four to six weeks, and they are limited in space. So please head over to thetinyhouse.net slash webinar to reserve your seat. And thanks. That's all for this week. I'm Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.